Critic Owen Gleiberman of Entertainment Weekly called this movie a lapsed Catholic comedy without a whiff of true blasphemy. Associated Press critic Dolores Barclay calls it a movie that just makes you feel darn good. And Frederick and Marianne Broussat of Spirituality and Practice called its sequel a pleasant visit to old friends, ones who enjoy laughter, music, and the satisfaction of a job well done. On this episode of Ruined Childhoods, we decide the fate of Sister Act. Which one will it be? It's the Ruined Childhoods Podcast. Greetings, Starfighters, and welcome back to Ruined Childhoods. What's that? What's happening? Uh, well, John, because we're talking about Sister Act on this episode. Oh, is that one of the songs that they do-ish? That's... That's HHQ. That's Hail Holy Queen. That is the showstopper. I don't. Yeah, we'll we'll. I am. That has been just in my head. That's so funny. It's funny because that's not the one that my mind goes to. We'll get to that. Yes, we will. We'll get to that. Yeah. So hey, it's Rin Childhood's time. Yeah. This is first of all. Apologies for the later release on that one. I got sick because wildfire smoke made my throat scratchy and then I got a cold. Yeah, we figured you'd understand. Well, uh, yeah, like a baby living in a smoke-filled environment for, what, two weeks? Yeah, but you know what? Feeling great. Feeling real good right now. Excellent. Looking great. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate that. This is your favorite 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 podcast about movie reboots prequels sequels etc so on and so forth and i am so thrilled to be talking about sister act on this one this is like i can't believe we didn't start with this episode. i can't believe it took us 82 episodes to get to this worth the wait yeah but first i want to talk about something that i saw in the news today oh no oh what do you mean oh no the, I don't well, know because the news is terrible. Is it entertainment? If it's an entertainment news, then okay. I I look at this as being uh, good news, and I'm this is like like I'm glad that we actually didn't record until much later because otherwise I wouldn't have seen this before we recorded. But according to Hollywood Reporter, a long disputed uh, situation between the creative minds of Spinal Tap, so Harry Shearer, Christopher Guest, Michael McKeon, and Rob Reiner, they finally settled a dispute with, I guess, the licensing agencies and the the studios for the rights for Spinal Tap. I guess there was a lot of beef going on. I guess Harry Shearer caused a stir, I think, starting back in 2016 when this all began, uh, about getting the rights for all the Spinal Tap stuff. So this kind of opens the door for... Maybe some new Spinal Tap stuff? Hard to oh. say. Never I, did I imagine that we would potentially be seeing new... Sp- I mean, when was the last... Well, I feel they like toured, there was new sp- 
They yeah. toured with the Folksmen. The Folksmen. I uh, year. I mean, this was what like ten years ago. More, more, more. Uh, Fifteen years ago. So it's yeah, been a long yeah. time. But Folksmen, I mean, New Main Street Singers. Oh, is it awesome? Mitch and Mickey? No, I'm just. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm I'm running down the whole list of of the um oh a song for Irving or what was it? Uh, oh yeah. Ode to Irv. Ode to, Ode to Irving. Ode to Irving. Yeah. Ode to Irving. And um, yeah. yeah, so I, I guess that's that's settled now, and it, it all worked out in in their favor. The heroes, I think, Studio Canal was the uh, the ones who were controlling the assets, uh, and uh, um, you know, I ass. mean, obviously, Spinal Tap, some of the greatest you know comedy music ever and uh i know i had their uh sophomore album that was released break Break like the wind break like the wind which is great it's certainly there's certainly no like big bottom and hellhole or anything like that but it is pretty wonderful and ridiculous so return to stonehenge (laughs) so anyway there's yeah, but that. you know, and and honestly, it's like yes, I understand the, all the legalities of it, but at the end of the day, you cannot say and truly mean it that that material is the is the property, intellectual or otherwise, oh, of anyone other I, than those four men. Yeah, I I don't know exactly what the details are. Hollywood Reporter put out an article about it, but it was more of just like the broad legal facts rather than like the details. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, the licensing, I feel like that's a movie that's gone to different distributors and it's jumped around because it was independently produced in in the 80s. But to take it off for a moment, I just have a brief, uh, just an observation from my week. Okay. To, to share because it is relevant to the podcast. Okay. Because as, as you know, we we deal in in remakes and sequels and prequels and reboots. Now, uh, going back to school as a teacher in the mm-hmm. all virtual world, my school district has been tirelessly working to constantly update the software and everything that's in like the district machines and all the engines and the networks. So we are constantly getting emails telling us to reboot our computers. And when our students, now my students are constantly like, Oh, I don't know. This doesn't work. Or I don't have that button. You're telling me to press reboot it. Reboot. Uh, Reboot. I'm sitting here saying reboot. Reboot. Right, right, right. Reboot. More than I've said, I don't think I've said reboot in the in, in 82 episodes have not said <laughs> reboot as many times as I've said it in the last week. Now, if they had to prequel their computers, there might be a case to say that you've said that more. True. Yeah. What would they do? Get the last model of yeah. Dell? <laughs> uh, yeah. Revert back to the last operating system. Prequel. Prequel. Yeah. Windows 95. Damn it. That's <laughs> so when they you- peaked. Do you have any uh, one more things? I do. I was thinking about quick change and I was thinking about what you could do with just more of kind of like the what do you do with quick change? Because I feel like we were really at a a standstill almost with with quick change where it was like, well, you could do this and you could do that. But really, what would be 
there's really nothing worth pursuing. And I began to think more. First of all, I was thinking a lot about the cast of that film not mm-hmm. being very diverse. And I know that in, as we were talking about, right. you know, remakes and, and the like, our casting, you know, was was more diverse just because like, you know, that's the best actors for the parts, I think. But I was thinking about it in terms of the movie that it's most often compared to Dog Day Afternoon. Right. And I was thinking, what if you had and I understand like there's source material here we're dealing with. There's the Jay Conley book. But what if you're, you know, you took you take Dog Day Afternoon and let's say it's the Chris Sarandon character, the uh uh-huh. the the you know transgendered lover who is now robbing the bank. Some and keep in keeping with that theme of like somebody who's kind of used to operating in a disguise. And because we talked uh-huh. about how oh, like that's all interesting, right, yeah. The, well, because we talked about how like, OK, so I guess maybe Grimm knows like, you know, wigs and makeup or something because they all have like really good disguises. Mm-hmm. Uh, Grimm, Phyllis and, and Loomis. So we were talking about that. And I was like, well, if you have somebody who has had experience and I don't I don't want to and, and I don't mean like, you know, the old like, you know, transvestite, like, you know, right, uh, right, right. you know, rob the bank as a woman and come out as, a, you know, but I mean, like somebody who like really honestly representing, um, you know, a segment of the population not often represented in film and honestly play it as the like. We need to get out of here. And I would maybe not set it in New York or at least not set it in New York of of present day New Mm -hmm. York. Um, If you were going to set it present day, I would do it in another city. But you have somebody who because of of their life and because of who they are, they have learned how to how to operate, how to how to blend in, how to stand out in, in specific ways. And right yeah, I, I feel like it would be an interesting way to go to kind of bring a little bit more of that dog day afternoon. And also just like, why are we always getting the same stories about, you know, the well-meaning man and the woman who loves him no matter what? Yeah. And and just to bounce off that idea, you could do it also where it is a you know, a race switch where you do have a more prominently black cast. And and I know that uh, Sorry to Bother You deals a lot with code switching, but do a quick change reboot, call it Code Switch, have that be the focus of it, maybe tie in some sort of punny thing with Code Switch in terms of, like, actual codes. I don't know. No, and, I'm thinking uh, about... Well, and, I, and, I know. And, and it can it can work in a very similar way. Well, we're spitballing here, but it's so it's making me think of the of a Key and Peel sketch about oh, the yeah. code switching sketch. And I'm like, They're wow, so good. they'd be so great to to do this and to do this movie. But imagine a like a, a satire because you talked about Sorry to Bother You, which is yeah. a, like, you know, what a wild movie. Gr- but it's just balls out, goes out there and says what it has to say. It goes and does out what it, there. So what if your quick change with your code switching, what that your burglar, whatever he's doing, your bank robber, whatever, is able to escape because of the 
stereotypes right right of like you know the the police because like the like he goes in and let's say he's really he's he's playing up the sure you you know what what they expect from a black man right and, right right or black woman and yeah. And then, you know, as they come out of it, it's kind of like it's it's Eddie Murphy in the uh, White Like Me sketch from oh, Saturday yeah. Night Live. Mm-hmm. Classic. I look kind of Harry Reams-ish. Mm, I like it. I study for my role very carefully. I watch lots of Dynasty. See? See how they walk? Their butts are real tight when they walk. They gotta keep their butts tight. I gotta remember to keep my, my butt real tight when I walk. And... I read a whole bunch of Hallmark cards. <laughs> my lovely wife. You always mean lots more to me than you could ever guess, for you have done so much to fill my life with happiness. Finally, I was ready. The problem was much more serious than I'd ever imagined. Now, let me get this straight, Mr. Uh, Mr. White. You'd like to borrow $50,000 from my bank, but you have no collateral. You have no credit. You don't even have any ID. Is that correct? That's right. <laughs> Mr. White, I'm sorry. This is not a charity. This is a business. Uh, and- Harry, why don't you... Uh, take your break now. I'll take care of uh, Mr. White. Well, okay. Thanks, Bob. <laughs> that was a close foot one. It certainly was. <laughs> we don't have to bother with these formalities, do we, Mr. White? Huh? <laughs> what a silly Negro. <laughs> Which was kind of adapted into a movie called True Identity, where, which is huh. where um, a black man, in order to, I think he like witnesses a mob killing or something okay. like that, and in order to evade the mob, become like is I think he's an actor in it, and he gets he becomes white. Is there a list of movies where somebody has to be disguised as something they aren't to get away from the mob that is chasing them? Because how appropriate is that to talk about tonight? Oh, really appropriate for today, yeah. or or you know maybe they maybe they're uh you know on the other side of it like white chicks, sure where they yeah. are the yeah they are police. But before we move on from uh from this conversation, you know we're talking about these bank heist movies, and we're also talking about black representation. Got to talk about Inside Man again because I watched it because I hadn't seen it before and uh, oh. I, I watched it. And if anybody listened to our last episode about Quick Change, uh, there was a 2006 NPR uh, broadcast that um, where the, their film critic mentions or likens Inside Man, which came out in 2006, to Quick Change. And they kind of pose this argument that it borrows some ip from quick change and like i don't know it's making that argument dan the look on your face now is the same as it was when we talked about it last week and i well i want to know where you stand on this well having seen it it's like okay i see what this guy's saying but he does not have a strong enough argument to actually make make it his thesis you know it's i think it's worthy of calling out movies like quick change in a review of Inside Man, just because, yes, you have a bank robbery 
where the peop- some of the hostages that get released are the people responsible for the heist. And but that's that's it. And that's where it ends with that. Inside Man has so much more going on. Inside Man just, is actually really great. I really, really enjoyed oh, it. Fantastic. I, I don't know why I hadn't seen it before, but I, I did, it's streaming on one of the platforms and I checked it out. Actually, you know what's funny is, you know how when you open up like Netflix or whatever, there will be one movie that's like advertised to you. It was advertised to me specifically like that was the movie and i was like well i guess i have to watch this right now like what oh, are the chances yeah, is my it's tv all... listening right now yes yes you're you're, you're speaking into a microphone into the internet into the computer everything is listening everyone <sighs> is listening oh, no one God. cares because you know <laughs> well but... while we're on the while we're on the subject of quick change still and also uh communication I want to give a shout out to um, one of our followers on our Instagram feed at Ruin Childhoods Pod, Michael Z zero nine seven. I hope it's okay that I'm calling you out by your handle. I apologize if it's not okay, but I wanted to uh, mention that Michael Z zero nine seven has a cousin who's prominent, who's a prominently displayed extra in the film, in a scene where Randy Quaid abruptly exits the cab. Isn't it when As he, he like runs out of the cabin, he like runs right into the side of that like the newspaper kiosk? Right, right. Concerned onlooker. So um I haven't checked it out, but um I'm going to definitely rewatch it again and look for that concerned onlooker. We do enjoy our standout extras. Yeah. Um absolutely our standout we extras do. is going we to uh, we're gonna talk about that a little bit more lately. I think not, about not the so pink much standout guy. extras. Oh yeah, about the pink and, uh, thong guy and falling, falling down. down. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Dan, He's among I, my favorites. I also want to mention uh, we we brought up Sleeping with the Enemy. You were arguing that it is not an erotic thriller. Wikipedia calls it a romantic psychological thriller. So it's maybe a gray area, but it's it's in that uh, category. Romantic. It doesn't have. I, I don't remember sex scenes in it. Like for an erotic thriller, like there's got to be some like, you know, crazy sex going on where you think someone's going to get killed in the middle of it. Like it's like I'm thinking Sharon Stone, Basic Instinct, like, yeah. um, you know, when she's like uh, riding like Michael Douglas or whoever and she like reaches back and there's the ice pick. Oh, yeah. That's like that fatal attraction. Yeah. Neurotic Those are the disclosure. two. I think that like those two, yes, disclosure also are like the tent poles of the genre. Um, <laughs> so the the one other They're erotic thing, thrillers because the male lead always gets a tent pole. Sorry, oh, I could not hold that one. Yikes! Back. So in a, a in a complete turn of uh, vibe, I want to mention that uh, in my home. You know, especially uh, since we've been cooped up with all of the smoke from fires, everything is better now. Um, The air quality has greatly improved. Um, We've been watching a lot of movies and my three-year-old really likes to watch Sleeping Beauty. And I was noticing the minstrel when you have the, um, the two kings from the two different kingdoms who are waiting for the prince and uh, and Aurora to to come to the castle so they can finally meet and get married. And they're talking about like their future together. It's just the two of them getting drunk. And then there's this minstrel with a lute or lyre or whatever. And he keeps on sneaking sips of alcohol from them and like, you know, uh, bottles tipping over and he like 
has it go into like the inside of his instrument and he drinks it out of there. And all I could think of was Levinson from the party. And Dan, I don't know if you guys watch Sleeping Beauty at all, but if you happen to put it on or if you want to see what I'm talking about, just like fast forward to, I don't know, three quarters of the way into it. And holy cow. Levinson Beauty predates the party, does it? Doesn't it? Um, it is 60s, but I want to say it's earlier 60s. I'm going to look that up real quick. I'm, but, I'm curious. No, my my daughter does not watch Disney movies. She watches veterinarian shows. Uh, and yeah, oh, Sleeping Beauty is 59. 59. So, yeah, like, for example, um, so we were reading, we uh, ordered a book about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, pour one out for RPG. Pour, pour it all pour, pour it all. Pour. I was, uh, um, I actually did because I was doing a virtual happy hour. Uh, I was oh. with social. I was with social studies teachers when. So that's how oh, I, really? I found out, and I just, I just kind of, yeah, picked up the bottle. Um, but anyway, so we're reading the book and talking about how her mother died from cancer, and because my daughter watches all of these veterinarian shows, mm. and now and like every episode, especially this one that she watches on Disney Channel, I'm gonna shout it out because it's really good, Doctor T. Lone okay. Star Vet and the women. Oh, no, no, no! Different, different, different. Doctor T, less, less. Not Richard Gere. This, not she's Richard more of a Jenna Gere. Fisher, more of a Jenna Fisher type. I oh, would cast okay. Jenna Fisher in a heartbeat. Um, in Doctor T, the uh, Lone Star Vet. But so, and every time someone brings in their animal, and they're like, "Well, I don't know," and then you know, there's this month there, and and they're looking. Doctor T is, oh yeah, it could be cancer. We hope it's not. So after watching these shows for a couple of days, it's like I'm sitting there watching it with with her one day and and they bring the animal into the to the doctor and and they're looking at it and they're like, and, and then, yeah, I don't know, like this under her her wing there. And Chloe just looks at me. And she goes, could be cancer. Yeah. <laughs> so we're reading we're reading this Ruth Bader Ginsburg book and mm-hmm. her mother died from cancer uh-huh. and and of course chloe wanted to know what type of cancer it was and mm. it was yeah so no we're not watching yeah I, I trust me i would love to be watching sleeping beauty but she's really into these vet shows and okay. hey she great. like she like they're doing surgery on it and i'm like like i'll w- walk into the room or my wife will walk into the room and we'll we'll just be like oh i can't like oh god you're like you know Stitching the intestines of a crocodile. Yeah. I can't watch this. Wow. And Chloe and Chloe's like, I think I can do that stitch. <laughs> oh my goodness. She's so, a riot. Yeah. <laughs> well, like you said, pour one out for Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Uh and speaking of other people who don black robes, let's talk about Sister Act. Speaking of, of some sisters here. Yes. Uh Sister Act. Dan, I feel like we be we were aware of Sister Act. Because our uncle was an extra in it. Uh, yes. He lives in San Francisco. Well, he does. He lives in Oakland now, but lived in San Francisco at the time. And perhaps we will hear from him in a little bit. Uh, we're, if, if all works out according to lucky. plan, then we'll be able to have his side of the story. But this, you know, um, it was a time when certainly everybody, anybody who was in a, a movie that could be on screen, it was like a huge deal. And uh, this yeah, was, ex- 
yeah, not everybody walking around had a camera. And Ex- yeah, you know, for it's sure. Like we weren't all like just putting ourselves up on, on YouTube. So, yeah. and, and making a movie was also a big production. It wasn't dig. I mean, it's still a big, big production, but right. like not digital. We're talking, you know, early nineties here. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I know that we for sure saw it in the theater because it was a family event for us. Although I'm not sure that I saw it. I feel like I saw it separately. I, that could I be. for some reason have a recollection of not seeing it with the rest of the family. I do well, remember seeing it at the Westfield Twin. Okay. I, I'm, we probably saw it the same place, wherever it was playing the closest. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, we, so, so 1992. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. 1992. I was nine. It was. And the thing that's so great about this movie is it's suitable for everybody. And can I tell you something is tell that something. I remember, I will tell you something that I remember when I remember hearing about this movie and that it was Whoopi Goldberg playing a lounge singer whose mobster boyfriend is on the hunt for her because she witnesses a killing and she hides out. Wait, Dan, um, I haven't given the synopsis yet. <laughs> I just did. And she hides out in a convent. Yeah. I was like, no way this isn't rated R. Oh, <laughs> With Whoop- well, because Whoopi Goldberg at the time, like, other- all right, she did Ghost, but like, you know, Whoopi Goldberg was known more for like R-rated stuff, like Jap- Jumpin' Jack Flash and-, and Burglar and her stand-up comedy, which it wasn't. She wasn't Andrew Dice Clay, uh, right? Uh, you know, but she didn't hold back. <laughs> well, also, in addition to just Whoopi Goldberg and what we knew of her at that time, what we also knew of comedy nun movies at the time was nuns on the run which came out two years before this which had boobs in it which is probably the only thing i remember about it to be honest and eric idol is in it and is it robbie coltrane eric Eric idol and robbie coltrane no there's actually a lot i remember remember robbie coltrane i'm sure that hagrid (laughs) yeah i'm sure that the moment i watch it again it'll all just come back to me we watched that a lot growing up for some reason I had it. Yeah, I had it taped. That was a funny movie. It's a, I mean, I remember it being a funny movie. I'm sure I'll watch it now and I don't know. <laughs> but it's cringe. It'll probably feel really weird. Like th- there's well, a, probably a reason why you can't find it anywhere. Well, especially like because the scene that you're talking about with the boobs is and I'm sure that the actresses were were above 18. But this was taking place in a high school girl shower where Robbie oh. Coltrane in Robbie Coltrane dressed as a nun is right. walking through all this like throng of yeah. showering high school girls. So, Yikes. you know, when I was 12, um, there was nothing wrong with it. Now it's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So just looking at um, Whoopi Goldberg's filmography leading up to this, and I'm going to go in reverse chronological order. So in 91, we have. Soap Dish, wonderful performance, of course. Uh, Wisecracks, Blackbird Fly, she had an appearance in House Party 2. Um, Dragon and Slippers. Uh, 90, of course, was Ghost and The Long Walk Home. Right. In 89, we had Homer and Eddie. So that one is one that's certainly family-friendly. Uh, Beverly Hills Brats, uh, Comic-itis. I don't know what that's all about. Uh, 88 was Clara's Heart right, and The right. Telephone. Uh, 87, Burglar and Fatal Beauty. 86, Jumpin' Jack Flash. 
85 was the color purple. Well, the color purple, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um not a lot of like a lot of smaller projects and not a lot of not a lot of hits necessarily. Yeah, and so then of course so then Sister Act happens and then right after that we have Serafina which did she direct that? No, but I think she produced it, produced co-starred it. in it. And Serafina exists only oh, as, as because a film. she did because she did Sister Act. Yeah. Because she did Sister Act 2? She did Oh, because she agreed to it? She didn't want to make a sequel. She said that she would agree to the sequel if they would bankroll Serafina. Interesting. Sister Act 2 is um, in 93. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Yeah. Um, and 93 is also Made in America, which is a movie yeah. I love. I don't know if I love it just because I saw it a thousand times, but I remember being quite enjoyable. And, and you know... Uh, 94 Lion King, Corinna Corinna. Anyway. Ghost of, I remember Ghost of Mississippi. She was in that in 96. That was really she's good. She's fantastic. Oh, uh, yeah. Whoop, she, I mean, Whoopi Goldberg is Whoopi Goldberg. You know? She's always good, even in movies that aren't. And yeah. you, you always know that you're getting, I don't know, I feel like an authentic performance from her. Yes. Yes. And a- even absolutely. to this day, you know, she's not acting acting as much i think she's made did she make an she's appearance active. on like broad city she did the she's on the view but she's on the know. view she was in a movie um with i want to say it was with like tiffany haddish um i i, I forget oh, if top it was five like, was she it was a, herself no, no, no. in top five no there was something i remember she was like i remember the trailer because she's like getting high off a of vape pen in the trailer like laughing at her window and like she's got two daughters they're really different and like one of them is really uptight the other one i th- i think i'm thinking about the right movie you know i'm looking back at the Tyler past Terry few movie. years about when tiffany haddish would have been active which to like 2016 she did a warrior's tale and king of the dance hall here, hang on. I will, 2017, I will tell you what it is. 9-11, and then 2018, she did Furlough and Nobody's Fool. Is it Nobody's Fool? It Tiffany is Nobody's Haddish, Fool. There you go. It is Nobody's Fool. Yes. So that's the last thing that she's credited in in her filmography. Yes. Yeah. So, but I, you know, I, I'm I'm sure she has opportunities and oh, kind of- I'm sure she gets asked to do things all the time, but she can say no, and I'm sure she does a lot. Well, she was, I believe, nominated for an Academy Award for The Color Purple and then won the Academy mm-hmm. Award for Ghost. Right. And she won Tony for The Color Purple? I don't think so. I think I think she was nominated for an Oscar, but The Color Purple, Color Purple was not on stage until it was turned into a musical. Right, but she was a producer on it. Oh, yes, yes, yes. She won a Tony for producing it. Yes, yes. I think. Yeah. Yes. So let's talk... Sister Act, may I have the floor first? The synopsis, please. Synopsize away. If you've been known to frequent performance venues in Reno, Nevada in the 1990s, you may have seen the talents of Dolores Van Cartier, a singer known for belting out classic pop and soul hits from the 60s. What you might not know is that she's the mistress to Vince LaRocca, a big-time Reno gangster. Dolores previously oblivious to his criminal wrongdoings, witnesses Vince and his goons often informant. Dolores manages to run away from Vince's goons and into the protection of Police Lieutenant Eddie Souther, who puts her in a witness protection situation in the last place anyone would find her, 
a convent in San Francisco. Coincidentally, Dolores' hometown. For obvious reasons, her whereabouts must never be discovered. Not only does Vince have a bounty on her head, but there's also a mole in the police department. At her new home, St. Catherine's, she's forced to live as a nun and even convince the other nuns that she's one of them. Her true identity is only known by the Reverend Mother, who isn't crazy about her being there in the first place. Dolores, now known as Sister Mary Clarence, is quickly revealed to be unlike the other nuns. She speaks out, she dances, she questions their methods, and some of their fellow nuns are really into it. She particularly buddies up with sisters Mary Patrick and Mary Robert, but when Sister Mary Clarence joins up with the church choir, she realizes how she can make a difference. She unlocks the hidden potential for this group of sassy sisters, and with their voices, actually attracts new faces into their dwindling congregation. Much to the disapproval of the Reverend Mother, Sister Mary Clarence and her group take it to the streets and buddy up with the locals in the dump of a neighborhood. Using song, they even get national attention on the news, nearly getting caught by Vince. But they get someone else's attention, the frickin' Pope. Meanwhile, Vince's trial is coming up and once Dolores testifies, she can leave the convent. But she's not quite ready. She has to be there for her gals. But it turns out the Pope isn't the only one who discovers Dolores. Her whereabouts have also been found out by the mole in the department, leading Vince's goons straight to her. Once they swoop her up and bring her back to Reno to face her destiny at Vince's hands, the gang has her back. They charter a chopper to Reno and track her down to save the goddamn day. They all, Sister Mary Clarence included, return to St. Catherine's to perform for the Pope and get the most grandstanding ovation in all of San Francisco. So, as we've discussed, Whippy Goldberg plays Dolores Van Cartier slash Sister Mary Clarence. We've got uh, Maggie Smith as the Reverend Mother, who's amazing. Harvey Keitel as Vince LaRocca. Uh, we have Bill Nunn as Eddie Souther. We have um, Kathy Najimi stealing every scene she is in as Sister Mary Patrick. Uh, Mary Wicks is Sister Mary Lazarus, uh, whose name is on my screen. Also because Dan has made that his name on our uh, video recording. Talk about, uh, sorry, talk about an uh, uh, underestimated she, scene stealer. I, I know. And I, I didn't mention her at all in the synopsis, but she really is part of their main crew and she's hilarious. You kind of catch her more on repeat viewings when it's, oh, damn, she's so, hilarious. She's got great lines. And she, Real hard, um, hard as nails, tough as nails. Well, none. yes, but also. Well, but she's, she's funny. Yeah. She also, like, she really goes from being intimidated by Sister Mary Clarence because when Mary Clarence replaces her as the choir director or whatever, she feels like, oh, they brought in a ringer. I see what's going on. Reverend Mother says Mary Clarence has a background in music. Really, Mary Clarence? Were you a choir mistress? Sort of freelance. Freelance? Really? Oh. You don't think I see. You think I took vows yesterday. I know what you're up to, you and Reverend Mother. Uh, what? You're a ringer. She brought you here to replace me, out with the old. Oh, could you help us, Mary Clarence? Mary Lazarus, you're terrific, but we could really use some help. Please, you've heard us. We're terrible. <laughs> well, there's a word for this, mutiny. So, Mary Clarence, you think you can do better? I believe I'd like to see that. Go ahead, sister, make them sing. 
She's so good in that scene. But, but they, <laughs> she quickly is just like, oh, no, 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 you are that much better. I get it. You're cool. Well, but that's also because Mary Clarence kind of also, like, she knows. So, and this is kind of where what I think, where where it builds into two, where I think, like, kind of it made the premise for Sister Act 2, um, and I know we'll get to it, but a little yeah. obvious, but the, the idea of being in a school is that she's a really good teacher and she understands that Mary yeah. Lazarus feels a little put out. So she incorporates her and brings her in on yeah. her side. She's really good at making people feel comfortable and getting people to come out of their shells, such as the case with Sister Mary Robert, played by Wendy McKenna, who is the very soft-spoken, young, much younger nun who um she really like gets to belt out and she's this incredible singer not really her voice but that's neither here nor there and sister mary robert could you could you come stand over here please yeah come on over i noticed that uh you're moving your mouth but nothing's coming out so i'd like to just hear you by yourself if you don't mind sister alma could you give me an a please alma Check your battery. Give me an A, please. Okay, wait. <laughs> um, try this. Close your eyes. Visualize yourself in a room full of people, lots of silverware, people dropping stuff, talking loud, drunks, women with, with trays going, what are you gonna have? <laughs> your voice has to carry over the din. You have to get up over all of that to be heard in the back of the room where I'm sitting, listening, straining to hear you, okay? <laughs> Keep that in your mind when we do this. Sister? We call that an A with an attitude. That's what you need. You have to put attitude in what you're saying. You have to think about what you're singing. It's not just quacking. This is this is rejoicing. But her and 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 yes, and I want to and I feel like a schmuck because I don't have the name of the singer who did the singing because Andrea she's Robinson. Thank you. You're welcome. Andrea Robinson deserves all the credit in the world because honestly, like this, the when she sings especially when she uh, sings during hail holy queen mm -hmm. um and and really lets it go the combination of the vocals which go from that very soft and meek, right. like like the uh, like andrea robinson gets the the performance like she gets the nuance of the performance in the singing but wendy mckenna does oh, an she... amazing amazing yeah. job
yeah, she's really, really delightful and wonderful. And she has this incredible scene with uh, Sister Mary Clarence where, you know, they kind of first start to like bond and she gives her this little like alarm clock that she had when she was a kid because Sister Mary Clarence can't wake up at the ass crack of dawn. And uh, I don't know, it's just like a really, really sweet scene. And they just like, I mean... It's it's so interesting because it's like this sisterhood of nuns and it's trying to bring out the part where it's like it's in their nature to be welcoming and it makes sense that they get to they all get along so well so quickly even though it's bumpy at first and you know um the reverend mother Maggie Smith's character she's the only one who's like really uncomfortable with Sister Mary Clarence and all the changes that she's making. But she also has a really great scene at the end with Mary Clarence where she's just like, I was insecure. I'm an old lady. I, you know, I was intimidated and didn't want things to change and I've been afraid. All right, I was good to you. Right, we had a great ah! thing. You sang an old doll. Yeah, come on. Badly. How could you betray me like this? You are nothing. Get him out of here. I've got two words for you, Vince. Mary Clarence. Bless you. Let's go. Oh, hey! I hold you responsible for all of this. For introducing a lounge act into my convent, for utterly disrupting our lives, and exposing us all to mortal danger. Thank you. (laughs) No, no, thank you. Thank you all. There's that great scene, and I think it's after um, Mary Clarence goes to the bar. And oh, yeah. yeah, which who knew that bikers loved to do up so much. But <laughs> she she goes to the bar, and then she has that scene. And, and Mother Superior says, is talking about the walls and how, like, you know, the walls keep them safe. And yeah. it's, it well, gives, and yeah, I know we connect now thinking about like you know the the wall but it makes so much sense right. that like yeah she's a she's the neighborhood has changed outside of those walls but and this is where like maybe you know if there was and, and there's some hints at backstory but like if you think oh she's been there for a long time and she's seen the neighborhood as it's changed but yeah. inside the walls doesn't change yeah absolutely and you know you're you're kind of getting to this but like the outside the neighborhood that they're in is a pretty run down neighborhood at least that's what they want to convey and i think that it's just the fact that it's not a white neighborhood and that you know of course can be intimidating for people who are more old-fashioned um and, you know, she was very reluctant for the nuns to go out into the community because she was just afraid. And once they start connecting with the community, the the young people who have adopt, uh, adopted this, like, you know, urban lifestyle. I, I mean, I I don't know if she talks about where she was before San Francisco, but I'd be very curious to know more about the Reverend Mother, perhaps in a prequel. I don't know. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's it's an interesting dynamic and I just love the arc for her character and her relationship with sister Mary Clarence slash Dolores. Yeah. 
totally agree. The the um the whole progression is it's really nicely done. I think what what I I mean among the many things I really love about this movie, and I don't think I really realized how much. I loved it until, uh-huh. you know, not just watching it, but getting ready to watch it and thinking about all the things I like about it and just trying to think like, oh, there's really nothing I don't like about it. Like it manages to be a thoroughly engaging, funny, at times exciting, yeah. um, but like safe, family friendly yeah. movie. Uh, you know, aside from like the one guy getting whacked at the beginning, which it's like kind of a blink and you miss it situation but yeah. like you know i watched it as a kid and it i i loved it not as much as i do now but like i you know whenever you're, you think of sister act you just think like that is just a an inarguably fun good movie like there's it's so it's what what i really like about it is that there's no romantic story like there it starts off of course where she is the other woman in uh, this this mobster's mm-hmm. uh life but that that ends you know nothing you, nothing ever happens it's just like it's established that that's been going on and then this is you kind of walk in at the end of it and there's no romantic story with lieutenant souther 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 sorry souther um, it's okay. Reading it uh, on the screen, it's S O U T H E R, so Southern no, feels right. But yeah, Southern, I've seen it so Southern, many times, and I just think of Har- I think of Harvey Keitel saying "Souther, Souther's got it." <laughs> that doesn't sound like Harvey Keitel at all. Yeah, but um, so yeah, I mean, there's no romantic story where they. I feel like anybody else making it would have done that, and, and I look a lot at Whoopi Goldberg's filmography, and it's like there are a lot of movies where that doesn't happen or where she's not at the the core of it, you know, in the case of things like Ghost. Made in America is an exception. Turns out she ended up in a relationship with Ted Danson. Well, yeah. I think yeah. because of that movie. Like, I think, did they meet on that movie? I don't remember if they met on it or if they or if they were dating and then made it. Yeah. I feel like, I, f- I think maybe it might have gone, they they made, they met making the movie. Yeah. But, but anyway, but um, it's like, she's this actress who is this star, mm-hmm. but she's a star because of her, I don't know, talent, her charisma. Her, be- yeah, not because of like, you want to see her get together with people. She's, she's great because she's just great. And I feel like if you do, like if you do, it's because you're rooting for her as the character, not for her as the quote unquote love interest, right? As the and damsel, or you know anything like that, right? Right. Now, while we're on the topic, when I think about 1992, and I was looking at this movie, and I'm like, this is a big studio summer yeah. movie, touchstone, being touchstone, yeah. a yes, and but anchored by a black woman right and largely female cast the men yeah. in it are really supporting players right the i mean well harvey Keitel aside but souther is you know bill nunn who is yeah. african-american and yeah. yeah it's but it's not but that you know, aside it, it wasn't uh it wasn't pushed to a specific demographic it was pushed to everybody 
it's not it, it there's there's not really a point made of that unless you kind of read into the whole like the idea of well mother superior is reluctant to let dolores in just like she's reluctant to integrate sure into the community but that's not that i i don't read it that way but mm-hmm. i'm looking at looking at 1992 for the early 90s and that is like huge bold letters for the early 90s mm-hmm. 1992 has quite a few films anchored by headed up by uh women in leading roles as well as like um filmmakers women okay behind the camera penny marshall a league of their own comes mm. out like a month after this okay um you've got um whatchamacallit uh this is my life which Nora efron uh directed Starring mm-hmm. Julie Kavner comes out in in 1992. You've got it's not as strong of an example, but a uh, single white female, mm-hmm. a film anchored by two women. Death becomes her. Sure, a much better example of that. Yeah, for Alien, sure. Alien Three. Uh huh. Hand that rocks the cradle. Uh huh. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Okay. Gives us one of our big, you know heroines yeah. of of the 90s um john sales passion fish for what it for what it's worth uh, i know it's a smaller film but totally f- based around female characters mm-hmm. who are you know are i think well round you know really like well-rounded and when we're talking about a problem in, with representation in films even to today to look back at 1992 and look at these movies and and they're successful like sister act was was successful league of their own successful yeah. but what's also interesting is you're talking about all these movies that have female female driven movies and specifically for this one this is a beloved movie but if you look at the like 93 oscars so the oscars for the movies that came out in 92 you have things like Unforgiven, Bram Stoker's Dracula, mm-hmm. uh, Howard's End, the Crying Game, the Crying was Game, that Malcolm X, yeah, um, Marissa Tomei wins for My Cousin Vinny. So it's Scent not, of a Woman, yeah. So like, yeah, Al Pacino won for Scent of a Woman. So you're not getting the representation in the awards for these films. It's no, you know. Uh, editing is Unforgiven. Uh, I'm just kind of looking through it right now. Best director, Clint Eastwood for Unforgiven. So it's like, it, as far as like the the stats for, you know, when people look back, it's like, oh, I'm going to watch all the, like, the best picture from each year or whatever. It's like, well, you're going to be missing out on maybe what really was the but best you need, one. But that's the thing. Because, like, don't just look at best picture. Look at the look at the box office. Right. Because I would argue that a movie like Sister Act is standing the test of time. I'm not saying that it would be worthy of best picture, but it's like it is one of those movies that it's like try to find too much that's bad with this movie. Like that's really what can't. I'm saying. But also, but to your point about the like the romantic subplots. If you look at like a lot of those movies that that I'm talking about here, A League of Their Own, the there was yeah. going to be a romantic subplot between Gina Davis and Tom Hanks that got uh, nixed. Yeah. Um I mean, yeah, I don't a single white female is kind of an outlier there. Death becomes her. I know there, there's like her. Bruce Willis, but he's not there's yeah. not it's not about the romance, it's about the two no. of them. Absolutely. No, it's not about yeah. him. Yeah. It's not about him. 
I mean, God, Alien 3, I think, is the only one where any, well, the hand that rocks the cradle and Alien 3 is the only one where anyone has a baby. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, like the hand that rocks the cradle, you know, the uh, the the men in that movie are either, you know, it's the, the, the scummy um, OBGYN mm. or the... Uh, um, Ernie Hudson's character, Matt McCoy, who's the husband, but it's really Annabella Shiora and, and Julianne Moore, who uh-huh. are kind of like the driving heroes of, of that movie. Yeah. Well, luckily. So, wait, so 1992. Yeah. But uh, if we want to just go into the future to 1993, we have Sister Act 2, Back in the Habit. Yeah. One of the greatest, one of the greatest titles for a sequel. It's so memorable. It's a good, it's a great, uh, it's a great title for a sequel. It's a wonderful title for a sequel. Uh, Sister Act 2. Sister Act 2 didn't perform as well uh, critically or at the box office, but I got to say, it's fun. Oh, and, and, you know, going back to the first one, one thing I, you know, we didn't mention you know, yes, it it has everything. It's got a great emotional arcs between these women. Uh, it has great comedic moments, but also it's got music that'll give you goosebumps, even if you heard the music a thousand times. Well, and that, and and bef- I guess before we move into Sister Act two, that's why I need to talk about Hail Holy Queen. Oh, and please! It's a, it's because that's the it's the turning point of the movie. It's the segment when. When the choir sings under the direction of Sister Mary right. Clarence for the first time, and they begin the hymn, and it is beautiful. And yeah. Mother and and she gives Mother Superior exactly what she yeah. wants before Sister Alma kicks it into that doo-wop that and I, yeah. I I mean, yeah, I don't know if this is gonna play at what point this is gonna play, but like I listened to the whole thing, and and the Sister Act soundtrack is not streaming anywhere. Mm. But I just I put it on YouTube, and I just had it on yeah. repeat the other day. But the moment when when you re, when not only because first there and what's so awesome about it, what's so great, and then I'm gonna and then and then we'll go to Sister Act too. But is it's that moment where at first they're singing as a choir, all as one mm. voice. They're all terrific and they're all together. For the first and time ever. start for the first time yeah. ever. And then the doo-wop starts. And they're all together, mm-hmm. but we're starting to celebrate some individuality. Right. Yeah. And we're starting to celebrate, like, we're br- Sister Mary Lazarus, who d- might not have the most beautiful singing voice, but she gets- She like, lends her she, own special quality to it. Right. It is brought out. Mary Clance brings it out. Yeah. And then when Sister Mary, uh, you know, it's, of course, Sister Mary Patrick uh, singing her heart out, and you got to love- uh, Kathy Najimy, like, should have been nominated that year. She I, is so freaking funny. Also in Soap Dish. Yes. But, uh, yes. Yeah, she is Tawny. so- <laughs> She's so funny in this movie. I'm not going to get this. This is a little too complicated for me. Don't you worry. You'll get the hang of it. I'll help you. Thank you. Are you always this cheerful? Am I? Mm-hmm. All right, I am. I know it. I can't help it. I've always been upbeat, optimistic, perky. Even as a child, my mother used to say, that girl is pure sunshine. She'll either grow up to be a nun or a stewardess. 
coffee. <laughs> There's something about the habit that she's wearing that makes her even funnier for some reason. Because her face, because her face yeah. just bursts out of yeah. it. And her expressions, you know, she, she said, uh, she was interviewed and she said that her inspiration, like to, to kind of get to that was Mary Hart, co-host of Entertainment Tonight. Really? Who was just always bub, like just bubbly yeah. about everything. So she said she was just like, act like Mary Hart and smile all the time and have oh your God, eyes really so big. So, but yeah, but that's, and then when Sister Mary Robert sings and she, and it is, it is a religious moment and I'm not a religious person. I'm not into organized religion, but that is a, it is that moment where she is, it is so pure and genuine that what comes out of her and she's just, it is her love and her desire and her, what drives her to be a nun that just comes pouring out Yeah, Uh, in that song. And you know, uh, just what you just said uh, made me think of another thing that makes this movie so great is that it transcends religion, even though it is a movie about nuns, because we were a family of, you know, Jewish kids, you know, and we loved this movie probably just as much as anybody else. Oh, it didn't, it didn't matter. It, yeah. It transcends, like, it's not about that. Did you ever do you remember? I don't think you were there for this because you might have been too young. Okay. But at one point, I, I only remember that this was right before my 10th birthday in in the glorious year of 1987. Okay. Um, what a year. Just because so we were we were going to we were going to the temple Sunday morning for religious school for Sunday school. And mom was mom was driving and I. I remember this pretty clearly. We were driving in Garwood and we got into a little fender bender. It wasn't a major Ooh. accident, but with a car of nuns. <laughs> I don't know this. <laughs> Was On I the there? To Temple. No, 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 no. I don't think I I I I don't think you would have been there. No. Okay. I, I don't think you or Scott were were there. And the only reason I remember it was right before my 10th birthday is also I, there were some of my birthday presents were in the trunk. Oh. <laughs> um, a, a Gwildor action figure. What? Are you freaking From, kidding me? <laughs> no, I I remember the weirdest shit. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so we were in a car accident with a bunch of nuns. They didn't, had they sung Hail Holy Queen, we would not have even asked for the insurance paperwork, but... <laughs> Wow. Uh, Um, (laughs) That's, that's wonderful. That is wonderful. And there Uh, we were five years later cheering for sister act. Amazing. Because one has nothing to do with the other. Yeah. Uh, Okay. So you were talking about the music. Well, just just that, that, and that, that's the moment. That's what makes that movie. That's what makes the movie really work and it's that scene where you not just you don't only see that oh well mary clarence knows a few things and she's not afraid to push a few buttons but also how happy the sisters are yeah just so, that they're able to rejoice and celebrate and actually like sound 
good doing and of totally. course everybody everybody comes in fr- from the street I, like it's funny because when you listen to it on youtube you always hear the one guy say hey um, what's going on over there <laughs> they sound good <laughs> so the the songs that stick out to me most from sister act are like i will follow him I, and uh, and of course my god Hail girls. Hail Mary, what's up? Well, Jerusalem's become a real drag. Everybody hates me. Uh-uh, not that guy over there. Who, him? They all say he's different. They say he's really weird. We don't care what people say. To us, he's always there. Really? The best yeah. part of that is Ellen Albertini Dow when when she just says her one note. He may not be a movie star, but and when it comes to being happy, yeah. Oh, she's <laughs> and she's oh, she's so delightful. precious. That song is great. I love it. The, yeah, they're just so fun to watch. Like it, it's the kind of thing that like I don't know if I would imagine it creating like national news or international news. You you know, you could say since the Pope caught wind of it, but uh, I don't know. It's uh, it makes sense in the context of the movie. Like, yeah. Oh yeah. I'm not surprised that like this is on TV in Reno, you know, on the news or something or that's especially. The Pope, yeah. Yeah. The, especially the Pope thing was a little outlandish, that, but you know, well, was I guess he, he was anyway, he was, was going, he... he was coming to San Francisco anyway. And, somehow found out about them boy i would imagine you're in charge of the church where he was originally scheduled to go yeah bummer <laughs> that day and they're like what he's gonna go to that whatever church i forget what it was st catherine's st catherine's yeah. you don't remember the name of the, the name of the church that we were just talking about but you remember that you had a got a gwildor action figure on your 10th birthday <laughs> <laughs> i don't I don't understand how my mind works. I just, I just work with it. All right. I don't know. That's why there's a million post-its up all over the place in here. Uh, okay. So I can remember random shit after five seconds. So yeah. So Sister Act 2. You want to- Sister Act uh, 2, back in the habit, 1993. After her brush with fame, Dolores Van Cartier has moved up the ranks in Nevada and is performing at huge shows in Las Vegas. She is visited by some of her buds from the convent who are now teaching at the St. Francis Academy, where Dolores went and hated as a kid. They were sent by the Reverend Mother to try to convince her to reprise her role as Sister Mary Clarence in order to help revive the school's music department. For some reason, perhaps Catholic guilt, she says yes and returns to San Francisco and, once again, dons her penguin suit. When she first meets her class, they are all in their own world. Though they are all interested in music, they think that their school's idea of music is beneath them. After some clever trickery from Sister Mary Clarence, the kids start to pay attention. 
she sees their potential and finds ways to connect with them and their talents. She decides to get the band back together and show her students how much fun church music can be, specifically in front of an audience of locals who go ape for them. Father Maurice, who runs the school, is pissed because Sister Mary Clarence neglected to get parental permission for this endeavor, so she gets majorly chewed out. That's when she happens upon a conversation about the school that she wasn't supposed to hear. It's gonna get shut down. It's time to kick things into overdrive for Sister Mary Clarence and her convent cohorts. With the help of her students, she fixes up the old choir room and converts her students into a full-on choir, with the exception of one. Rita has big potential as a singer, but an even bigger chip on her shoulder, resulting in her leaving the class, despite her deep desires to be part of it. After the class's first performance in front of the school, Rita's desire grows even bigger. Sister Mary Clarence, who thinks the problem is with Rita, even goes to talk to her mom. But when she says that she forbids her daughter from participating, Sister Mary Clarence is left baffled. When she finally has a good talk with Sister Mary Clarence, Rita decides to get over herself to fire her mother and officially rejoin the class, slash, choir. Meanwhile, some of the nuns discover a cache of awards given to the school years ago, indicating that they used to have an award-winning school choir and would compete at the All-State Choir Championship in Los Angeles. The nuns submit an application for St. Francis despite Father Maurice's strict no-field-trips policy. Father Maurice is pissed, but he lets them go anyway, as long as they get permission from all the kids' parents. When it comes time to hit the road, Rita hops on the bus with a forged permission slip from her mom. But while they're on the road to LA, the mean school administrator, Mr. Crisp, finds an article about Dolores going into witness protection as a nun and decides to haul ass with the friars to LA to put a stop to her nonsense, wink. At the competition, the kids are super intimidated by the other talents on the stage, especially when the one before them is performing the song they had planned, Joyful Joyful. That's when Sister Mary Clarence sends a message backstage. They should take off their choir robes and just relax, be themselves, and have fun. They take the stage, leading with Rita, but when she sees her mother in the crowd, she freezes. After a few moments, she builds up the courage to begin. Rita and the St. Francis Choir tear the roof off the place and obviously win first place. The friars stop in their tracks and are so impressed by their students, they even lock Mr. Crisp in a closet so he can't put a stop to them. Rita's mom could not be more proud of her daughter. The kids all learn about Dolores' past and are dazzled by her showbiz charisma so we of course have Whoopi Goldberg Kathy Najimy um Wendy McKenna reprising the roles uh Maggie Smith is there of course Mary Wicks is back Mary Wicks, Mary Wicks. Is sister, sister Mary Lazarus my apologies uh Mr. Chris is played by James Coburn who's <laughs> awful uh Michael Jeter is Father Ignatius um of course we have Lauren Hill as Rita um, we also have Jennifer Love Hewitt in there as Margaret, who's just like a ditzy part of the class. She's very appearance focused. Yeah. And uh, a, a, a really knockout performance by Ryan Toby, who performs the solo in the the class's first performance. And that's him singing, I think. And that's him singing. He belts at this crazy high note and it's oh, amazing. Oh my God. When 
And I, I looked him up. Dan, do you know much about Ryan Toby? I feel like he was in a, was he in a, what group was he in? He was in a I don't group. know if he necessarily was, was he in, in a, group? a group, but he wrote, uh, he wrote and produced for Will Smith, uh, songs like Miami. Um, he was doing stuff with Darius Rucker, Ruben Studdard, Usher, Mary J. Blige, Brian McKnight, LL Cool J, uh, Justin Bieber, um, he recently, I think in 2018, released an album called Repeat History uh, on his own. So, yeah, you know, guys got chops and uh, yeah, quite a voice. Yeah, he's he's great. And by the way, she, uh, Lauren Hill. Uh, first of all, this movie is the announcement of Lauren Hill's yeah, arrival and introducing Ms. Lauren Hill, Ms. Lauren Hill. Yeah, uh, New Jersey native. Uh, she Ryan went to high Toby school also with, with some friends of mine, a New Jersey native. Oh, did yeah. she go to high school with some friends of yours? She went to I, I want uh, I believe Columbia High School. I think it's called in Maplewood. Okay, uh, Maplewood or South Orange. And, yeah, that's the area yeah. that she's from. Yeah. Yeah, no, went went to uh went to school with with a few friends of mine. Yeah. From that she's area. she's awesome in this and uh, you know, she's great. She's great. It's obvious th- that her path clearly, you know, led to such amazing amazing work. I definitely after rewatching this um last week listened to some Fuji's and you know, okay, miseducation. Oh, of course I did. <laughs> yes, me too. Oh my god. <laughs> So, yeah, and I, I have a theory, or I have, I don't, it's not much of a theory, but I want it to be true that James Coburn's character is secretly the father of Cullen Crisp from yeah. Kindergarten Cop because <laughs> they're both douchebags. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I buy it. Uh, James Coburn, though, I mean, man, t- I love how the Sister Act movies managed to get these, like, just tough guys. Like, you could light a match on right. James Coburn's face. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Elliot Gould could light a match on his face in the long night. Uh, but he could <laughs> light a match Gould off of can, anything. He could light a match on a rain cloud <laughs> in that movie. Did you like that poll? I can't believe that happened. I'm still recovering from this cold, and I managed to make a Elliot Gould lighting a match poll. G- going back to, uh, <laughs> yeah. Nice, a- an episode goodbye. from what, the, the our the 60s and by 60s i mean our episode order not the year it came oh, out um, yes. um yeah no the, yeah the long goodbye robert altman yeah uh, so, so sister act 2 back in the habit um i mean i'm sure i saw it in the theater just because sister act was so great and it's like how could this be bad and it's like it's a perfectly fine movie i mean i don't believe i don't like buy her leaving a very successful Vegas show to go back to teach at a Catholic school. It is not of, I would not, I would, I would not say it's the, the most well thought out movie. I think, whereas the first movie, the plot, the character development leave you to, you know, the spots, like yeah. the big moments, like a hail Holy queen, like there's a buildup to it. Whereas in right. this, Well, you know, it's like she sees the kids like rapping in like this courtyard area and like she knows that they have talent and she like she sees that she catches them like singing, like doing other stuff. So it's like they're clearly talented. It's really it doesn't make much sense to me why they are so mean to her at the beginning. 
Like, no. Well, but also why is she like when she walks in, like her first time walking into the room, they are doing something that is vocal. They are together doing yeah. it like they're, they're doing they're doing whatever. They're like the hey, oh, right. Yeah. Um, you know, circle. It just didn't seem in character that she would shoot it down so much or that she would or that she would be so concerned about like it's like it can't get worse than, you know. Or the only way it can get worse is like basically once she walks in and starts bossing them around rather than saying like, you know, okay, all right, that's good. Just walking in with what they're doing and saying like, all right, that's really good. That's really good. Now try this. Yeah. It it, it feels like that's what she did in the first one was right. walk in and take what she had and worked with it. So I felt like as much as the second movie tries to duplicate the kind of like the high points of the first movie it it disregards that the whole movie is a high point yeah you know i so so sister act 2 definitely it's got two songs really that the class does there's like two actual performances uh, aside from like all their like you know rehearsals yeah. and stuff like that and then there's a so, oh happy a, day right yeah, and then joyful, and joyful, and joyful, joyful. Yeah, yeah, and then so you have the original group, the the nun choir, performing at towards the beginning, and just to like show the kids, and it's like okay, and then you know they do they play a song at the like during the end credits with all them, which is like okay, so it's like it doesn't have the same like. You certainly get goosebumps when the kids are doing their two songs, like for sure, especially when Ryan Toby belts out that crazy high note. Absolutely. Yeah. And like the performances of everybody reacting to that are great because it's like, what? Like nobody sees it coming. Her Whoopi's reaction to that is fantastic. It's so good. And yeah, uh, yeah, so I, I don't know. I mean. I still I, find it fun to watch, but it's just it's just not as good a movie like down I, the line. I, yeah, I don't know. I found it. I mean, yeah, I saw it in the theater and it's fun. And you're right. Those moments do have the intended effect. But it, it, I, it's it's more of a like a just like a boost, like a really fast high. And then you come down mm-hmm. and. I, I felt like there and there were a few other things that just like distracted me from it. For instance, if Sister Mary Clarence or Dolores is such a great vocal teacher and such a great choir leader, why is she conducting the choir and they're all sitting down? Which <laughs> yeah. is not a good like you you should stay especially eh, meet when you're, them where they are learning singing. Yeah. Yeah, but they're stand meet them where they are. They're all standing up when she meets them. She makes yeah. them sit down. I well 
There's just, that. The school is also way too, the hallways are way too clean. Like even okay. a nice school in the suburbs, like there's like fucking milk cartons and ca- cafeteria trays on the floor. So that. Not that I need realism. Those, but. Yeah. Those details aside. Also, this movie really didn't have nearly close to the same type of stakes that the first one had. Uh, I think that the stakes in this one is like this, you know, it's like the school's going to close down. That's so much just like, oh no, the rich developer is going to buy the ski slope. We've got to save the community or, you know, it's like that same ski patrol. Yeah. It's ski patrol. Uh, (laughs) It's the same trope that you see over and over and over again. I even wrote a script using that same exact trope about a fire department. Of course. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yes. Oh, I remember that yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. Oh, that was, I remember there, that, With my I friend remember there was some funny stuff in that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cause it's hilarious, but it's just like a trope that's very well worn. Yeah. Dirty and work. I mean, I'm just, they're all ev- just popping up into my head. Everything. Yeah. We're going to close, yeah. we're going to close down the blah, blah, blah. We got to save it. Yeah. Oh no. So, yeah. um, yeah. So, I mean, that was this and it's like, they're going to close down the school and it's like, if I was Dolores, I'd be like, uh, I had a terrible experience here as a kid. Uh, I'm sure that my friends will land on their feet elsewhere. I don't know. And it's, I, I didn't, the, the urgency for her isn't quite there when it, as opposed to like running from the mob. At least they established that it is the last night of her run. But like she even has oh, this agent at the beginning. Oh, the Robert agent. Pastorelli is the right because and and Robert Pastorelli, who was you know not a, a no name, he was on Murphy Brown at, right. at the time, yeah. and um, it, like he's her agent. And the next thing you know, it's okay. I'm done. I thought that like because uh, when I watched it last week, I was I. I didn't remember it as clearly because it's been decades since I had seen it. But even when I saw him, I was like, okay, well, he's clearly going to show up again. Nope. No, no. Um, But uh, some other people who do show up. So first of all, Michael Jeter. Right. Michael Jeter. Father Ignatius. Father Ignatius. He's great. And I want to, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. Thomas Gottschalk. I don't know. He plays the father the, of Wolfgang. The, the Schuff. Um Right, 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 right. Yeah, I, I'm 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 hoping yeah, okay. So the only other movie that I ever that I remember seeing him in was a movie called Driving Me Crazy. Okay. Which is I remember it I mean it was like this low budget comedy. That was just one of those things that like no one else would see. But when you're 12, you're like, this looks hilarious. Co-starred Billy D. Williams, Dom DeLuise, Milton Berle. Huh. I just remember it being really weird, but I remember this guy being like really funny in it. Uh-huh. Well, you know who else is in Sister Act 2 lurking in the background as um just one of the other friars in the background is Bill Irwin of... My Blue Heaven, yeah. Popeye, and as most people know him now, Mr. Noodle on Sesame Street. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, Bill Irwin. Yeah. Jeez. So hell he's a, in there. And yeah, it's kind of a blink and you'll miss it situation, which is funny because this is after he had been in 
Hot Shots and My Boo Heaven, of course, and Eight Men Out. Like he's well, and had done Broadway. And I wonder if he just. I wonder if it was just one of those things where it's like, like how um, I don't know. You got all those people who are in Star Wars, like you know, just yeah. As, but it's like I don't know. You feel like he'd be a little bit more prominent. It just seems like an extra kind yeah, of thing. Maybe he was just visiting someone and they're like, hey, throw on a robe. You know? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, so yeah, Bill Irwin, Mr. Noodle. He's so good. I didn't catch him. I didn't catch I, him. I wouldn't have known it had I not seen his name on the credits list. And yeah. then it's like, oh yeah, there he is. Um, but yeah, so, yeah. It's, it's, I mean, Sister Act 2, it's like, it's it's fun. It's fine. It's not like, you know, it's not a, a terrible sequel. You know, it's fine. No. It's just, it's not, it, it just doesn't have, it, it's not the across the board winner that Sister Act is. Sister Act 2 has its lulls in some moments where you, where, yeah, where you, you're asking some questions and saying, huh. Yeah, but you know what? exactly if, is this happening? Yeah, but if this movie is a, one of the prominent reasons why we have Lauren Hill's success, then I'm grateful for it. Oh, I'll, t- uh, hey, joyful, joyful, you know? Yeah, for sure. Like, I would wager that Lauren Hill was going to be successful one way or the other. If I don't know if this movie led her to meet the rest of the Fugees. I if believe this is what led they, her to Wyclef. I believe they met. Is it in New Jersey? Maybe they were all Jersey. I mean, yeah, they're all Jersey. So like Wyclef, I, Praz. I don't think that that meeting happened as a result of this, but it's possible no. that. I mean, look, I don't know if somebody knows the the truth. The truth behind this, email us ruinedchildhoodspot at gmail.com. But, you know, it's entirely possible that, like, she made a connection through this or, like, you know, was able to do things because of the money from this that led them to paying for studio time or something like that. I I don't know. Mm -hmm. But, like, you know, this is certainly the first time that people were aware of her in a, you know, a broader sense rather than just her you know, local music scene. I have no problem with the existence of Sister Act 2. Also, Sister Act 2 <laughs> has that. So there's that interesting little moment towards the end where it's like there's this implied, not not romance. I feel like we often jump to romance, but like a backstory between Father Maurice and, uh, the Reverend and Mother. Mother Superior. Reverend Mother. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so which it makes me wonder. And and this, I think, segues us to where we're going. Uh-huh. But it. It certainly does make me think about because she talks about oh how they used to be the rebellious ones oh, back mm-hmm. in the day yeah so uh, yeah uh, before we get to our stuff um, there was a a lot of discussion about a sister act three um, that was believed to be turning into actually more of just a, a reboot of the series that would be going to Disney plus it, you know, for years and years and years, there was a lot of discussion about what would be happening with this 2018. Uh, there was a alleged confirmation that they were writing as they were doing a sister act three for Disney plus. But, um, according to an article I found on digital spy, uh, who knows? I don't know what the deal is with that. But just in August, yeah, you know, last month, mm-hmm. um, apparently it is not happening. You know, Whoopi is into it as a producer, I believe. Um, Possibly a director, I heard her say. Yeah, I, but, I saw she said, yeah. but allegedly there's just no interest from an audience perspective for for a, you know, 
a new part of the series. So I don't know what the deal is. Uh, it's entirely possible that things were in the works, but then coronavirus happened and things got shuffled around. Uh, I don't know. But uh, mm. the reports I heard is that not happening. Not happening. Not happening. But Dan, should oh, something wow. happen, what would you do with it? Well, what would I do with it? Okay. Uh, so. Oh, wait. Vince- no, one, wait, sorry. One more quick thing. Yes, there was a, there's a musical that's out. That's, oh, yeah. that's yeah. been out there. Um, I don't believe, has it been on Broadway? I don't think so. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Oh, so sure, I know it sure started did. in, I want to say Atlanta um, and, and toured around for a while. Maybe oh, it also had a, in, it had in a Broadway London. run. It had a Broadway run. Whoopi, okay. Yeah, Whoopi Goldberg played uh, Reverend Mother, I think, in London for a brief stint. Oh, here we go. Um, according to Wikipedia, let's see, let's see, let's see. Original West End production opened June second, two thousand nine, at the London Palladium, starring Patina Miller and produced by Stage Entertainment and Whoopi Goldberg. Subsequent productions have been seen on Broadway and in many countries around the world. So the Broadway run. I can't see. I can't find it's like how. 2009, maybe. Yeah. Or... So, yeah. So it, I it was. I didn't uh, see it, but. Pasadena in Atlanta originally, and then London. And then. Um, yeah, it had five. Oh, closed on August 26, 2012, after 28 previews and 561 performances. Also with Patina yeah, Miller. Had a there you go. De- decent run. Had a decent run. Yeah. There. Um, Raven yeah, so, Simone. And- was Dolores uh, towards the end, I guess, just for the oh, last. Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah, so that's interesting. That's right. I remember that. Yeah. So I feel like that's one I had I had pegged as like, all right, this would be a really good musical. Totally makes sense. It is a musical. Yeah, totally makes sense. Absolutely. So, um, well, what would I do is, so Sister Act 3, Old Habits. Um, old Habits Die Hard. Well, that's my i know that's, that's my, your i know that's your die hard title that is my fantasy die hard title i have the whole plot for that okay mapped out yeah so um it would have been much better than a good day to die hard which sucked. oh yeah so uh you know sister act three old habits is where vince gets out oh. of prison and it, and somehow ends up looking, you know, trying to find Dolores and the, the sisters have to help her out again. I don't have this that well mapped out, uh, that well mapped out. Um, it kind of it kind of leaves you to wonder, OK, well, then what happened after Sister Act 2? Did she like go back? to vegas and do another run right did she stay on and she was just like if they're just going to keep coming and getting me every like 18 months <laughs> save I me the just airfare gonna, like whatever i'll just stay this works for me so uh i you know we, i guess we find out what happens you know f- there but i think that yeah i think you yeah, have harvey Keitel gets out and maybe it's that maybe dolores secretly like you know is is a it's one of those where like she knows where the money is but she doesn't even know that she knows or something like that or like yeah he had given her a locket once and she didn't know but there was a key in it and he's like i gotta get it back i don't know um you know bring back harvey Keitel. 
Yeah. <laughs> Bring back. Un- unfortunately, um, Mary Wicks passed away in 95, so pour one out, but she wouldn't be able to yeah. be involved. But you could certainly get Sister Mary Patrick and Sister Mary Robert back in there. And and I mean Maggie Smith. Maggie is, Smith is is I won't knock on wood because then it'll make a noise on the for the podcast for the recording. That's my <laughs> desk. But if you if uh, you announce what it's going to be, like if it's an established noise, then it's okay to knock on wood. I am now knocking on wood because Maggie Smith is still is still with us, right? And it is wonderful and amazing. Oh and yeah, I would. It would be great to see her. You know, you could you could get her back into it. Maybe there's get her back into something, the habit. Some un, yeah, yeah. Get her back 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 into the habit again. Um, but I think there's some other there there are some other ways that you could that you could go with it. Um, you know, thinking about wouldn't it be funny to have a sister act three that's also called Back in the Habit because it's just like <laughs> why not? It's but it just put. Put the back in like italics or something. The E in in the is a three. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> back in three Sister habit. I, back in three habit. <laughs> back in three habit. It's a Fast uh, and the Furious situation. <laughs> uh, two sister, two act. So, uh, okay. Okay. All right. I, I do That's, like the idea I, of getting Harvey Keitel um you know back in it and i think you know you 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 bring in some other you've got your younger you know cops who are involved i don't think you need to have like a lineage like we don't need to have eddie souther's son right no no no. in this we don't need to we don't need (laughs) um (laughs) touchstone is gonna have to put a disclaimer just being like um we're sorry we know (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah i can't think of much else that you would really do with this at this point like what other what else like what maybe it's maybe dolores van cartier is going into the the hall of fame i don't know the music (laughs) hall of the not the the vegas performer hall of fame the, the vegas performer hall of fame and yeah i don't I don't know. I think it would be nice to get them back, but I just don't know what the story would really be. Yeah, you wouldn't have to figure that out. That's for somebody else. Yeah, to but then you end up with yeah. Uh, well, well, you on. know, it's like, just the the concepts is what is what we need here. Yeah, but I, I mean, like the concept know, of you know Harvey Keitel getting out and there being a reason why he needs to track her down again for her to end up back in the convent or whatever would seem like a uh, a mistake an obvious no, place to find her what if he's trying oh be interesting what if he's trying to track her down oh what if you incorporate it what if you say like all right well her story got out clearly after the whole you know the, after sister act one and it got out and it became so famous that they based a musical on it <laughs> right yeah and they end up and and it's like they end up just kind of joining different like touring companies of of the musical to hide out (laughs) (laughs) so what if i he gets out but he's hidden like a a large sum of money like in the vatican somewhere (laughs) like i don't know there's it doesn't have to make sense 
when when he took Connie there in in 1990. It, it doesn't have to make sense. The second one doesn't make sense. Why should the third? So uh, for some reason, so we got to get them. We got to get them to Rome. We got to get them to the Vatican. Okay, <laughs> we have to. We, we have, have to. to. We have. We to. have to. We have to. Oh, like what if it's a Da Vinci Code type? Thing? Or or what if I mean, just going back to your Die Hard title and your in your old Die Hard tie in with uh with old habits Die Hard. What if it's a crossover? <laughs> oh, what if it's a Die Hard movie that you know brings him to St. Catherine's or St. Francis, whatever saint they're at now? And uh, that is an odd crossover. Yeah, but would you would you watch it? Yes, yes, of course. Yeah, oh, of course. It's so yeah. it's it would so still weird. Be better than a good day to Die Hard. It's it's such a weird concept that you can't not see it. Like you just so have it, to watch it to see like how what in the world? <laughs> yeah. Does he need the the sisters' help to? Does like McLean? He doesn't realize he needs her their help. Is it kind of like like Kathy Najimy becomes Samuel L. Jackson? Yeah, <laughs> Die Hard with a Vengeance. Can you imagine? I just no. That's actually that's all I want to see is Die Hard with uh, a Vengeance. No, no, no but he goes instead of Zeus. He goes, it's, no, no, it's no, Mary Patrick. No, 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 no. He goes, oh, hey Zeus, hey Zeus, and she goes, uh, it's Jesus. <laughs> anyway that's a weird joke okay so my my idea would would be what we talked about before with uh you know the the reverend mother's backstory um i don't you know if you do have characters this interesting and especially if you can like dip to present day maggie smith at the tops and tails or something, then mm-hmm. why not? Uh, you know, like you said, there's there's it established that she, you know, has some sort of interesting past. Let's find out about it. Yeah. So I'm wondering. So like, are you? Do you have casting ideas? Uh, no, not really. Because I feel like, let's see, in this one, she does she have an American accent in this one? I can't remember. If she just did regular Maggie Smith voice or American no, she's got the British, she the does. British accent. Yeah. For some reason, I felt what like about it was Phoebe Waller Bridge. Oh, that'd actually be really cool. That'd be really funny. Get a hot priest in there, Father Maurice. You know, Father Maurice's hot priest. Well, yeah, uh, he's, yeah. Who's gonna play Father Maurice? Like one of the Games of Thrones guys, or yeah. I, I mean, I haven't thought through casting or anything like that, but it would be cool, I think, just to to explore that that Sorry. world. I should say when I say one of the Game of Thrones guys, it's because I cannot, I can't remember like between Richard Madden and then the guy who played John Stark. I don't. Th- oh, I think Richard mm. Madden played uh, the other Ned Stark's Rob Stark. So Rob Stark, I think yeah. I think Richard Madden played Rob Stark, and then I can't remember the guy the the name of the guy who played a uh, John Snow, John Snow, mm-hmm. and but yeah, I was just like I don't know, they're hot young Kit English. Harrington, Kit Harrington, yeah, yes, Kit right. Harrington. I, I don't know about Kit I Harrington, know. right? Because Father Maurice, he had a. British accent or no Irish well, more Irish more Irish, Irish yeah. yeah so so yeah uh let's see what about Irish Taron Edgerton uh, he's not Irish but he could probably do uh, he's good yeah I think that I'm, I'm just trying to think of um Barnard Hughes 
Yeah. A young Barnard Hughes. Yeah. I don't know. It's hard to, it's really hard to picture it. I mean, he yeah. was, he was active in, uh, you know, the fifties and sixties, and but nothing, not anything that, that I've seen. He was in Midnight Cowboy, but I don't remember him in, in that. Anyway. No, no. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, whoever it would be, a young unknown. What about a Domino Gleason? I, you know what? But if you don't picture the fact that he turns into Barnard Hughes, then yes, I know. I just, yeah. I just, I don't know. I just like him. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, other Irish people. Oh yeah, Chris well, O'Dowd. To... Um, yeah, who are just Irish people? Yeah. Um, yeah, but I feel like Chris O'Dowd might be too old. And I think probably so. Too tall. That's also yeah. right. That's you also don't the shrink f- that much. That's also the funny thing is that you know, I I feel like. People like Barnard Hughes, if I remember correctly, just kind of like always looked kind of old. Yeah. One of those people. Yeah. It's kind of like a Gene Hackman thing where they hit 50 and stayed there for like 30 years. Yeah. It's a like a Tommy Lee Jones situation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, although I got to so, say, I've, I've been thinking a lot about Tommy Lee Jones lately in his performance in Under Siege and... Uh, it, it, the the speech we included this in God, I don't even remember what episode it was in. Um, but I included the clip from this where he's talking about how, uh, he you know what he's doing isn't a movement. It's because a movement eventually ends. It's it's a revolution because it keeps on going and going and going. So uh, I think about that a lot uh, these days with different things that are labeled as movements, and I'm just like, is it a movement or is it a revolution? And I just think about Tommy wow. Lee Jones. Interesting. That makes a lot of sense to me right now and also makes me want to watch Under Siege. Oh, his speech that he gives is like so amazing and he's so good at it. And I, I mean, also just Tommy Lee Jones's character in that movie just knocks my socks off I, every time. I, I feel like the last time I watched it was with you. Is that true? That's, yes, that feels like right. You were visiting in Seattle and we and that I, feels right. Yeah. Yeah. I want to say I bought a Blu-ray of Under Siege specifically yes. to watch. I do remember this. That is correct. Yeah. Uh, so Money Dan, well spent. Anything else you want to talk about with the Sister Act franchise? No, other than that, it is just, I, I mean, worth it. Thankfully, we have Disney Plus for you know, to have, you know, these movies. Right, because Touchstone is the Disney property. Yeah, it's yeah, there it was, like above uh, children's entertainment. Uh, it was the, yeah, ab- if it was above PG, it yeah. was Touchstone. Yeah, so uh, I, I feel like there was like one exception to that that was really weird, and it was like uh, Buena Vista, and then there was like gunshots and cursing. Right, uh, right, right. So, uh, but yeah, I. I, I want to encourage people who haven't seen it, or if you know people who, who haven't seen it, you know, younger, younger people, turn them on to it. Yeah. It's a great, it, it is. And especially now when there's just so much crap in the world and it, it and sometimes you just need to like, just tune out yeah. and find something that's going to make you feel good and not make you think about all the other shit that's going to be there for you anyway, when the credits roll. Yeah. So it's just so well worth it and it's heartwarming. It's heartwarming. It it makes me feel good. Makes my heart feel warm. Yeah. Okay, Dan, bear with me for this segue, okay? 
So we All just right. talk about a character who has sinned. And what's sinned spelled backwards? It's Dennis. So let's welcome our guest, our uncle, Dennis Spivak, background actor in Sister Act, and our uncle, hey, Ud. He's shaking his head at us. Thank you, I He's think. so disappointed. At you. At, that one's at you. <laughs> That's I can take no credit for that, but I think it's brilliant, so... <laughs> No, but seriously, thank you for coming to talk to us about Sister Act. Yeah, you're our one. De- you're our degree. Yeah, of separation. What made you guys interested in Sister Act? It's great. It's a great movie. It's a. It's so much well, fun. It's a classic. It's a. It's a. It's a great movie that's well remembered and it holds up well. And I think it's one of those that, you know, also people are maybe discovering or rediscovering through Disney Plus. And right. there's also and then there's the sequel, which while it was not a big hit, was definitely popular among, I would say, people of our age then, sure. um, and introduced Lauren Hill to right. the world. So it's kind of worth, I think it's worth and looking then it had at. Its, then it had its theatrical run. The Broadway, yeah. So it's kind of, it's been something that it's it's a known commodity that people, you know, tend to come back to. And why not? Let's, I think it's worth, <laughs> it's it's worth the discussion. We could have just said, why not? Great. Why I mean, not? I, I love the movie. Yeah. Well, could you tell us a little bit about your experience, how you came across this opportunity? Okay. This was in 1991. And in the San Francisco Chronicle, there was a columnist, Herb Kane, And every day, everyone read Herb Kane in San Francisco. And when you would run into someone in the morning, the first thing they'd say to you was, did you read Herb Kane? Did you see what Herb Kane said? And I opened up the paper. And they said there was going to be a movie that was going to be filmed in Noe Valley, which is the neighborhood that I lived in. And this was going to be shot at the church uh, down the street from where I lived, which was St. Paul's Catholic Church. And in the movie, it was going to be starring Bette Midler, Harvey Keitel, and Maggie Smith. And what you had to do is you had to come in with a photograph of yourself and come meet these casting people at a certain hour. And then they were going to decide who were going to be the extras in the movie. So that's how I first, first heard about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We actually, Dan, we never talked about how it was originally a Bette Midler movie. I know. And I can't believe we got through all that and didn't mention that this was written by originally by Paul Rudnick with Bette Midler written for Bette Midler. Yeah. Yes. And it would have been interesting is that it would have been such a different movie. Well, the the director, uh, Emil Ardolino, also a couple of years later after this movie, did the TV production of Gypsy starring Bette Midler. Uh, Okay. So there's a there's a connection yes. there, and the movie was released after he died. Oh, I didn't realize so, that. So so that's back, right. I remember. Yeah. So back to the story was that it was supposed to be taking place in San Francisco and Las Vegas, and as it turned out, Las Vegas was too expensive for the shoot, so they changed the location to Reno, 
and mm-hmm. Bette Midler, which as works you know, better for it. You know, yeah. So yeah, Bette Midler decided absolutely. that she was not uh, didn't want to be in this movie, which she regretted. It's come up in many interviews how much she regretted doing this. So we found out that it was going to be Whoopi Goldberg. We said, "Great, okay." Yeah. Although it's hard in your mind when you think about Bette Midler and saying, "How is Bette Midler's character going to be replaced with Whoopi Goldberg?" Brilliantly, apparently, you bring in about twenty other screenwriters and Carrie Fisher. <laughs> Carrie I mean, Fisher, one of the, right? Carrie, I wanted, yeah, not she that, did punch Yeah, yeah. Carrie, well, Whoopi Goldberg asked Carrie Fisher to do the punch ups for her, and uh, there's this great quote that Carrie Fisher, because Whoopi Goldberg was fighting the studio heads, and Carrie Fisher said, "You're getting into a pissing contest with people who have actual dicks." Oh my gosh, <laughs> that was so funny. Oh my god, Carrie Fisher, ah, uh, pour one out. So I, yeah, I didn't realize that this actually filmed actually in your direct neighborhood. Yeah, what happened was is that the the main part was going to be St. Paul's Catholic Church, which was a stand-in for St. Catherine's in the movie. And what they did was, now, the movie's supposed to be taking place in this run-down, not-so-great neighborhood, right? And Noe Valley is a very nice neighborhood. So this is what they did. They took the church and they put an entire false front on the church so that they could fill it with graffiti. And then they paid the people who lived across the street from the church money so that they could take the front of their houses, and which were painted very nice colors, and dirty them up and put trash in the yard and put broken cars, broken down cars in the street. And with the deal that After the movie was, uh, also during the movie, you know that things change and the neighborhood gets better and nicer and they clean it up. Well, all they did was they stripped away all the things that they made to make it look so horrible. And then they made a deal with the homeowners that they were then going to repaint the houses any colors that they wanted. So the Hmm. people who lived there thought this was going to be a win-win situation. Unfortunately, San Francisco, the streets are pretty tight and the neighborhoods are pretty closed in and when you're doing a movie you're bringing in a lot of equipment and a lot of trailers and a lot of vans and the production went from September until December of 91 and after the first week people thought this is so fun after the second week um it not so much and for the people who lived in the houses they weren't allowed to look out their windows where there were only times that they could come in and out. So by the third month, people in the neighborhood were getting pretty upset about parking, about what was going on. And in addition to this, it was a heat wave that San Francisco had never experienced in October. So now you've got people who are angry and hot. (laughs) That is... Wild. It's it's always interesting to hear the perspective of the people living in the neighborhood where a film is being shot uh, and, and how it affects everyone's day to day. You don't really hear a lot about that. Yeah, it gets no. it's very exciting at first. And then afterwards, it's like, what? No. And I want to just let everybody know that's listening. We clearly are blood related because this is all you remember these details from 30 years ago as if they happened yesterday, probably like (laughs) you and like Dan has crazy recall for weird details about his life going back 
I don't know, almost 40 years. And yeah, it's, there's something just in the random blood. stuff, just random stuff. I go up and down the stairs so many times because I forgot what I went up or down the stairs yeah. for initially. But you asked me like, yeah, what, what was movie in the theater trunk? he saw Sister Act at? Yeah. <laughs> Westfield Twin. Yeah. <laughs> Both uh, original and the sequel. You know, I have I have a very, very good memory. But when you think about it, you think about how many movies have you ever been in? It's a pretty strong memory. And I had only lived in San Francisco a pretty short time. So I thought, what a cool mm. place to be. And now I'm here and what? I'm in a movie? Great. <laughs> <laughs> right. So let's talk a little bit about your experience actually being an extra in, in the movie. So which which scene were you in? Because you were, if I'm not mistaken, one of the congregants? Yes. The, um, the way the scene was set up, it's the final scene in the movie when oh, with the Pope. Dolores Van Cartier, right? And she and the nuns are all going to be singing to the Pope. So all the stars of the entire movie are now in the church. And they are going to Minus be, Harvey Keitel. Well, minus Harvey Keitel. That's right. <laughs> and um, they're going to be singing the song, I Will Follow Him. So in the church, if you can imagine that there's, there's this big, beautiful church there's over a hundred of us who are extras in the church dressed as if we're going to church. There are all the actresses dressed as nuns wearing these very heavy habits. They have uh, piped in liquid smoke into the church to give it a very ethereal look. And now when you're doing the scene, we were there for three days. So imagine three days. They're shooting the scene over and over and over. And you talk about a song getting stuck in your head. I Will Follow Him was playing again <laughs> yeah. and again and again. And the church, I mentioned before that this was during a heat wave. So imagine it's now 80 degrees in the church with liquid smoke. And I just kept looking at at the women who were uh, portraying the nuns, especially somebody like Mary Wicks or Kathy mm -hmm. Jimmy, And I'm like, what? You know, how could they, how could they even stand it? And the rest of us, we were trying to had to keep our energy up because we're in church. Mm -hmm. I'm wearing a full suit. Mm -hmm. So it was not the most, uh, not the most comfortable time. But what they did for us was uh, the extras. We were, trotted in and out of the church because they had to keep airing us out. And we were on the playground of the school that was adjacent to the church. And during that time, they kept having raffles and games for us. Oh, so nice. um, we didn't get paid anything for being extras in the movie, but I, uh, but I did get, you didn't get paid for being an extra. No, not in, not in this movie, but uh, on a future uh, podcast. I will tell you about the movie that I did get paid for. <laughs> but for this one, um, what I did get was I won a, uh, a portable CD player, which was very exciting, a uh, coffee mug, and a pencil. I don't know if I still have the pencil. Oh, yes. The pencil you still have? Wow. I know. That's amazing. That, that's wow, he's awesome. showing us these well, sisters. And you see what it says I here? was part of the nonsense on Sister. Amazing. Isn't that that's great? fantastic. That's a pencil that you don't lose. But you had to win that? They didn't just give that to everybody? No. 
No, That's and you know what? Insane. We were excited to get it. Plus, they fed us lunch, so free lunch. Well, yeah. I'm I'm surprised they didn't they didn't pay. I you know I did a lot of background yeah. acting work when I first moved to Los Angeles, and you know even when uh, you know the the show The Adventures of Pete and Pete came to Cranford, yeah. and uh, Scott and I did that, and Dan, you did some extra work back in our hometown. Uh, you know we still got paid. It wasn't much, but so yeah, I'm surprised that you know an an actual big budget movie didn't do that for the extras, especially. And a, a cattle call with, you know, where everyone has to dress a certain way. And, you know, that's just surprising. And, and this is Disney but money you, we're talking here. This yeah. is not an independent production. Yeah, we were, yeah. we were. But I guess a CD player at that time is pretty sweet. Well, it was a portable CD player that I could put into my cassette in my car. Right. Oh. That was big time. Auto. So. <laughs> Had you gotten paid, you probably wouldn't have been paid the value of that CD player in 1991. In 1991, probably not. Yeah. It was a big deal. Yeah. yeah. And we were so yes. excited. I mean, when we were in the church, there was direction that um, Emil Ardolino was giving the cast. And every time he would give direction to Whoopi Goldberg and the rest of the cast, he would turn around to talk to one of the crew and Whoopi Goldberg would turn around and mimic him when she when he couldn't see her, and she would just make faces and just mouth the same words that he had said. And when he'd turn around, she just looked angelic and sweet, and everyone was laughing. And he was wondering why is everyone laughing? And he'd turn around again, and there she was. Do you think that she was doing that a little bit for all the people who were miserable sitting in those seats Absolutely. to kind of keep them entertained? Absolutely, yeah. she realized that. Everybody there, it, like I said, it was hot. And luckily, we weren't in a habit, but she was. Yeah. Yeah, I I did. Um, I was a background actor in one movie where it was, you know, an auditorium scene. And it was a Will Ferrell movie. And yeah, you know, it wasn't a super, super hot day. We weren't wearing our Sunday best. But, you know, it was just a lot of sitting around. But, you know, Will Ferrell, who, uh, you know, was at the same level as probably Whoopi Goldberg was at that time, I certainly knew how to keep everybody entertained. Well, how come uh, you were, I have a question. How come you were a background actor and I was an extra? Oh, it's just a fancy word for oh, extra. It's the same thing. Man. It's because John got paid. Oh, there you <laughs> go. Got paid. <laughs> yeah. You and don't I, get paid, you're just an extra. And all I got yeah. was a pencil. Oh, not all you got. <laughs> You were part of the nonsense. Somebody else got like producer credit on it in the raffle. Yeah. And and just because I don't know if we are going to talk about What Dreams May Come, the other film that you were, and I wouldn't call it background or an extra. You were quite you a were, foreground. You were you were featured in in that. I was. I, and and um I I never made the connection before, but I just realized that you've you've worked with two thirds of the comic yeah. relief trio. I was thinking about that the other Whoopi, day. Robin and Billy Crystal. So it's not too late. Billy Crystal's still Billy still Crystal. out there working. Yes. Do you suppose that uh, now that you are retired, <laughs> and I'm going to imagine that uh, COVID times will end and uh, movie production will begin again? Do you suppose you'll get back into the background acting game? Well, there used to be a lot of things that were shot here in the Bay Area, and most of that has moved to Canada. So, oh, so yeah. I don't know. Um, that's, I mean, the reason that I was uh, 
in Sister Act was because it was in my neighborhood. Yeah. So then um, what? how did you get into What Dreams May Come? Because I know that was I not shot on location, right? That was... They, um, Treasure Island, which is between San Francisco and Oakland across the Bay Bridge, um, had a lot of old uh, hangars that were left from World War II. And one of the old hangars was turned into a movie studio. And part hmm. of the movie was shot inside that hangar. And part of the movie was shot on Mare Island, which is also near San Francisco. And that, there was another column in the paper, and it talked about that there was going to be this movie being shot. It was a Robin Williams film, and they needed extras or featured background players. Um, and they needed uh, one different things. They needed senior citizens, and at the time I was too young for that, and they needed Asian people. I'm not Asian. And they needed a third thing, which was redheads. And I thought, bingo. Ding, 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 ding. Jackpot. So <laughs> they said, send in a, a headshot. And so it was showing a headshot featuring my red hair and was finding out why were they asking for redheads? Because it was the director's vision that the movie takes place in heaven and hell. And in heaven... Everything was this golden color, and all of the actors and actresses were wearing uh, shades of gold and had red hair. Yeah, uh, for anybody who hasn't seen What Dreams May Come, it's a really visually stunning movie. Yeah, uh, it's very, very vivid. It uh, in, it won an Academy emotionally for the for oh. art for uh, for the art oh, direction. Yeah. Well, and you were you were part of the art direction in that. That's true. Well, what was what, weren't you fly? You were floating. Well, here's what happened: was we were going to get paid for this movie, and it wasn't going to be very much pay. And they first put us into costumes, and the costume that they put on me was uh, it looked like a house dress, and I <laughs> thought, and I had on sandals, and I said, "What is this?" And they said, "Oh, we have forgot the rest of the costume." And they brought over a helmet. So when they put on a helmet and they gave me a sword and they said, you're a gladiator. <laughs> and I thought, but nobody can see me with this helmet that's hiding my face. So when they turned around, I dropped the helmet on the ground and stepped on it. And I said, oh, something happened to the helmet. No. Yes. Oh, wow. Yes. And then the next that's, day, that's this is how these move. movies get. This is how these movies get so over budget. Well, yeah, it was it was my delayed. fault. And um, then they said the next day they said we have a new costume for you. And I said, what is it? And they said, well, you know the Three Musketeers. It's like a Three Musketeers outfit. And uh, the only thing is, is that we're going to have to put a wig on you because you need to have really long hair. And I thought, well, what was the purpose of <laughs> being a redhead if I'm getting a redheaded wig anyway. Yeah, who and cares? I had a big cape and I, I had on this outfit. And the reason is, is that in the movie, there is a scene in a child's version of heaven. And she had a game uh, in, in the time when she was alive. And this game were paper cutout dolls. And the cutout dolls were from all different, different eras. And that's why at one point I was going to be a Roman, and then here now, 
I'm wearing this Three Musketeers kind of outfit. Right. There were 80 of us who were in this scene, and they, they came up to me and they said, are you afraid of heights? And I said, yeah, I'm afraid of heights. And I said, why do you ask? And they said, why? Well, we need four featured performers who are going to fly. And I said, oh, but I got over it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not afraid of those heights. <laughs> and so then they hooked us up to uh, this, this high wire outfit and hoisted us up in the air and gave me a lute to play that I'm in heaven strumming a lute and flying around. You know, actually, now that I think of it, and Dan, you know what I'm talking about. I sure you do. You actually look a lot like uh, something else that we mentioned earlier in this episode, the minstrel from the end of uh, Sleeping Beauty, who's uh, with the, the two kings and getting drunk. Uh, I don't know if you remember that scene, but we were talking about that earlier yeah. in this episode. So it it makes sense to bring it up again. And no, you playing the lute. And playing yeah, so lute. you kind of resembled that character. Well, it was... It was crazy, and they they paid good money for this. I got a, I got all new bedroom furniture as a result of working for three days <laughs> on this uh, on this film. It was absolutely beautiful, and uh, my favorite part of all was uh, another time. It was also very very hot. I'm wearing this very very um, heavy outfit, and um, flying around and looking down at Robin Williams, and in the scene. Robin Williams was making a speech, and before they yelled action, the director said to him, scream. So he screamed, and then he did the scene. And then they said, we're going to do a second take, laugh. And he laughed, and then they did the scene. Hmm. And then the third time they said, be very, very still. So with each time, because from my vantage point, because I'm flying overhead and looking down at this, I could see that the scene changed the way he was acting based on the direction that he was getting and the, of what he needed to do right before uh, saying his line. Oh, wow. uh, Robin wow. Williams, pour a, a major one out. Pour another one out, yeah. <laughs> um, what a tremendous opportunity to, you know, be part of such a really immense talent at work. Uh, that's just yeah. really cool. Well, it's fun. In both I, cases. You know, the thing, yeah. though, is that on uh, on What Dreams May, on Sister Act, we all knew that this was going to be a big hit. Everybody was yeah. so excited. It looked so fun. It had such a great cast. When we first stepped onto What Dreams May Come, they described the what the whole plot was. And everybody looked at them Kind of like if you've ever seen dogs watching TV, our heads were tilted. We're like, what? What? And, and so they all knew that this was not going to be a great movie right at the beginning. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think that we enjoy it in a, in a different kind of way because we had the, you know, the connection to you and knowing your experiences on it. So it has a different place for us and for a lot of other people. Unfortunately, it's kind of gone a little forgotten, but uh, yeah. It's a very, it, it's a lot. It's a it's lot heady. to handle that movie. It, yeah. It's a lot to handle, uh, but there are some scenes in it that are so beautiful. And the set that we Absolutely. were on 
you could see all of these gorgeous, amazing sets, and the costumes mm. were so beautiful. So we knew it was going to be visually interesting, but the story was going to be really hard to swallow. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. But you're but visually, absolutely, it is it's so memorable. There are images that still stand out to me. And I don't know that I've I I think I saw it once or twice uh after it was in theaters, but it's it's definitely been uh quite some time since I've seen it last and I still have some vivid images from it in my head. Mm. Yeah. I still have the bedroom furniture. <laughs> <laughs> we all win. Well, Dennis, Uncle Dennis Udd. Thank you so much for uh, telling your stories about Sister Act and What Dreams May Come. Uh, we really do appreciate it. Is there anything else that you wanted to uh, to mention before we uh, wrap this up? I think that's it. All I can tell you is that for, uh, I learned so much from being on these sets. I can't believe how boring it was that I thought this is going to be such an exciting industry and how tedious and laborious it, it all was. And that so much time was spent sitting around. But, um, but my, my, my favorite things in both movies, one from Sister Act, when we are all standing and applauding after Dolores Van Cartier and the nuns are all singing and we're looking towards the Pope. It was so much fun because not only were we acting the part, we were really applauding for all these people that we thought were doing such a great job and it was so much fun. And in What Dreams May Come, the, um, the director, as he was doing the final shoot, as we were all suspended in air in our scene, he looked at us and he said, remember, you guys are all in heaven. And I looked around and I thought, this is so insane. Look where I am. Look where I'm flying through the air. And I thought, I am in heaven. So I think if anybody ever has the opportunity to do anything like this, take a couple of days off. It was just a blast. So thanks for asking, guys. Well, thank you so much again for, for joining us. This was a lot of fun. So Dan, do you want to let everyone know what we're going to be talking about on the next episode? No. Yes, of course I do. Yes, I've been waiting. So, uh, <laughs> next episode, we are going back to the to 1960. I yeah. would say going back to the 60s, but not the, even the 60. The 191960 Billy Wilder's The Apartment, starring uh, Jack Lemon, Fred McMurray, and the marvelous Shirley MacLaine. I am very very excited. You yeah, John has been pushing for this, and and I have nothing. I I I. This is a wonderful movie. I've seen it before, um, but and we'll we'll get more into it next week. But it's it's not a movie that I'm always just like Sister Act is. Oh, okay, fine. Oh, it's Sister right, Act. Right, right. Yeah, it's gonna make me feel good. The apartment is a little different, and and John's really been been pushing for it, understandably, because it's great. And I have been resistant to it, but now I am getting my. I'm like, I'm, I'm ready. It's streaming on Amazon Prime. If you want to follow along, yeah. yeah. If you haven't seen, I mean, even if you don't want to follow along, even if you're just like, you're never going to listen to us again. Watch the apartment. Still, yeah. if we could leave you with anything, yes, it's and worth it. Unlike Dan's trip on his tenth birthday to synagogue, I wish you a good journey. Good journey.